Uh, we have some um, wonderful visitors here today that have really helped build this very place in consciousness and in effort. Um, and I must acknowledge um, them, Dusty Ripplemeyer, who was a core council member and graduating minister now this year over here. Michael Mamina, thank you for being here. And Levi Christ is here today. <laughs> All of them have given their love to Bodhi when they were here throughout their time. So thank you for coming back, and I hope you like the home you built. <laughs> All right. Today I want to talk about um, a woman from the Old Testament, one of the uh, um, leading ladies, if you will. Her name is Esther. And Esther was a Jewish woman, and it said she was divinely placed in position of queen of Persia. She was an orphan girl, and she was raised by her cousin. The king didn't know she was a Jew. The king was not friendly to Jews, but he, I I think, just thought she was really cute, so he bypassed all of that, married her. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, over and over and over again, it's the Jews against somebody else. It's like the story of the chosen people always having to overcome or have this fight or land in this circumstance or, or turn to God, turn to God, turn to God to get them back on path or to get what whoever or whatever is on their path out of the way. When I was uh, in uh, school back at uni- in my unity days where we studied metaphysical Bible, it was, it, I, I really loved what I discovered there, and I passed this on to you, and it was the idea of that the Jews, uh, the Jewish tribe represents the evolution of spiritual consciousness. It is the aspect of ourselves, the part of us that is awakening, becoming um, awakened to our spiritual truth. Um, And along the journey of becoming, we fall off the path, we face our obstacles, we get seduced, we forget. It's that journey of awakening. And that's what the Jewish tribe represents in the Old Testament. They represent that part of us. They actually represent the awakened state, and they're coming into the revelation of living it. So that represents inside of us the consciousness of God that is. It's established, it's done, but getting, it, getting us to live from it and as it consistently, that's the journey that we too are on. It's about becoming awakened. Can you relate to this? Yes. You are on an awakening path. You are awakening to your wholeness, the truth of your oneness. And during this awakening, there are vulnerable times. There are times when the ways of this world will have its sway with you. It will pick you up and take you on a journey, whether it be around the money or the finances or the relationships or whatever it is, the thing of this world that grabs you and makes you believe that there's two powers, there's something wrong, and you're at the effect of it. And then you yourself face whatever that obstacle is, And you yourself, just like the Jewish people in the Old Testament, get yourself brought back to the centering of God as your truth. So the the Jews represent two steps forward, three steps back. Three steps forward, one step back. But always moving in the direction. So in the story of Esther, a decree goes out in Persia that the Jews are to be killed. That happens also, by the way, inside of you in an interesting way. When your unconditional love, when your spiritual awareness becomes enlivened, the ego part, the part that is fighting for its belief in separation, it actually wants to, if I may, annihilate 
that part of you that knows its oneness. You you become at war, if you will, inside yourself, the consciousness, the part of you that knows its truth and the part of you that doesn't believe. So that's what's happening in Persia. It's time for the Jews to figure out once again how to save themselves. Well, Esther's uncle, his name is Mordecai, he sends word to her because he knows that Esther is the person in the right position to set them free. And he says to Esther, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You have been placed in the right position at the right time so that God can be revealed and the people of the Jewish tribe can be saved. Now, when she heard these words, she awakened to her purpose. She realized that she had responsibility to speak for the people and make a difference. The words she heard stirred her and they woke up within her the calling, her reason for being. Now, what also was said to her, by the way, by her cousin Mordecai, was that if she doesn't accept this divine appointment, the Jews will be saved somehow. But she personally and her father, their house will go down. Guaranteed for her to go down. A little manipulation possibly by Mordecai. (laughs) However, this is also what happens to us at a certain level of our spiritual awakening. In our premature levels of awakening, we often can't get the inspiration to wake up and do something until we go, oh, now my butt's in trouble. Now I'm the one. Now my house is being threatened. Now I'm going to step up and do something about this. That's okay. That's the beginning steps of consciousness. There shall be a day where we realize, where you realize, that there is no longer a my that's in trouble. You will be inspired to move for the greater good of all. But in the beginning steps, Esther, like some of us, we don't pay attention until it becomes personal. Well, that's what happened. So in that personalness of it, she answered the call and woke up. You see, God is talking to you through what is happening in the world every single day. Every day has your name on it. Every single day you are being called and there's a possibility for you as this healing presence to lift up the consciousness. Every single day, if you're awake and listening, you will see how your gifts and talents can be used for good. The world is saying to you, wake up. Somebody needs your prayer today. Somebody needs your hug today. Someone needs to be forgiven through you as the vessel. Every single day, you're being called. And when we're awake to it, when we start listening from within, we begin to see how The world is calling out for us to meet this divine appointment. A Course in Miracles says, My brother's is the hand that leads me on the way to you. My brother is the Savior, my Savior. Let me not attack the Savior you have given me, but let me honor him who bears your name and so remember that it is my own. I want to read this again. I want you to take it in. My brother is the hand that leads me on the way to you. It is through our brothers and sisters. It is through our relationships that we discover God. My brother is my savior. The way that I shall know God, the way that I shall be saved from the lies of separation is through revealing the oneness in my relationships. 
I know I'm not supposed to do this, but it's really fun to look at it with them. I got clear direction. Don't turn around. But I am. (laughs) Let me not attack the Savior you have given me, but let me honor him who bears your name. And so remember that it is my own. Let me honor the person that I see before me that bears my name so that I can remember it's mine. So it is in the relationship that, oh, you're God, me too. That's what happens. You're holy and innocent, me too. It is in this particular incarnation, in this three-dimensional reality, in this particular consciousness that exists within the realm that all that is, of which there are countless consciousness of experience, but in this particular consciousness of experience, our job and our opportunity is always to see the holiness in the person that is before us through our spiritual eye that we may know God. You and I have this opportunity every day, just like Esther, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You have come to this particular incarnation to do this holy work. So where is your purpose? Where is your divine appointment? I talked about this a long time ago, but it came back to me this week, and I love it. It says, I got this from Ianla, actually, Ianla Van Zandt. Your ministry is hidden inside your mess. Take a deep breath because I hear you. Oh, God, no, not there. This is what I want to go away. I hate this part of me, my life, my family, my mess. No, no. Push it away. Not this. Can't be that. Can't be This ugly, broken part that I don't even show to the world, I work very hard to cover up. Doesn't it make sense? That very place, in the center of that very place, is your remembering that it's not broken. You're remembering that there's nothing to fix. You're remembering that inside of that, if I will get into right relationship with my life, my mess, my shame, my fear, my guilt, when I get in right relationship with that and I call the presence of God into the center of that, suddenly my ministry becomes clearer. And that's how it works. Many of you know this. It is through healing the brokenness that you are currently doing what you're doing today. Our best spiritual counselors here at Bodhi are here and their best as spiritual counselors because they did their work, because they looked at their own messes, because they went into those pockets and they released themselves from shame. They released themselves from the bondage of believing they're separate. And as they allowed that healing to have its way with them, they could not help but to pass it on. It was their divine calling. And as they showed up for it, and many times along their journey, which is a three- to four-year process, I would look at them, and they'd look at me, and they'd be like, oh, this can't be. No. No. And we'd go, yes, baby, bring it forward. Bring it forward. Bring it into the room. Bring it into the room where the prayer circle dissolves it, transforms it, and makes you a worthy vessel to pass it on. Isn't that the great news? We have a lot of work to do on this because when we get hit by our mess, when we feel that shame or that guilt attack, it is because of six disempowering words. There are six disempowering words that will keep you stuck, and it simply is, why is this happening to me? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'll get used to it. (laughs) 
Why is this happening to me? That question, and you need to listen to this because there's an equation that is hiding inside that question that is designed to separate you from your freedom. Why is this happening to me implies that there is another power outside of you. And that power is doing something to you. So the question itself sets you up to fail. It sets you up to not experience God because God is oneness. God is connection. God is wholeness. How can you know God if you're fighting for your separation? You're fighting for the belief that something is happening to you. Do you get that? Why is this happening to me is a question that is guaranteed to corner you, knock you down, and keep God out of the game. Amen. I'm going to get you talking back. Y'all talk. Y'all talked to Pearson all day last week. I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I got a black woman minister in me, and she will come out, and she will whoop your butt. Thank you. Now, let's get talking, because this is not a one-way conversation here. <laughs> The empowering words, the empowering words, everything changes when you say these six words. Who am I called to be? Who am I called to be? Whenever the mess appears, whenever something is happening, whenever you get in that, oh, that thing out there, who am I called to be? You don't need to look for some big divine purpose. Just ask, who am I called to be right now? Right now, who am I called to be? Your for this I have come is always happening. You see, the problem is we get ourselves stuck on little hangnails of life. We get ourselves stuck on such small little issues that we can't, we're not even ready for the next level, for the next graduation, for the next amazing series of being in relationship with life. We're still trying to, ha- to heal the hangnail problem. Why did this happen to me on small little levels? You see, if you get stuck there, the glory of God that's available for you just remains waiting outside the door. So everything from great and small, because there is no great and small, it doesn't matter. Why is this happening to me becomes that which closes the door on God. And who am I called to be becomes the question that opens the door. Esther did something very important. And for us, I believe the primary teaching in this story today. By the way, just so you know the story, she goes to the king. She talks him out of killing the Jews. The Jews are saved, and they win. So that's sort of the story of it. It's that simple and clear, really. But what she does inside the story is so important. It is said she fasted and prayed for God's wisdom and favor. To fast metaphysically means abstinence from error thoughts to the end that we may meditate on truth and incorporate it into our consciousness. So breathe that in. To fast metaphysically means that we abstain from error thinking and we place our attention upon truth statements so that our consciousness can be transformed. You have to have a shift in consciousness in order for you to have a revelation of God as oneness because you're in the brokenness, the separation, the belief that something's wrong. What will shift you and move you? We must abstain. Fast. You fast 
from the thoughts of separation. You fast from the ideas of victim consciousness. You say, get thee behind me. And you place your attention upon truth statements over and over and over. The truth statements, no matter how crazy they feel. So often when I'm in my little split thought, I'm just right here, God. Right here, God. Pour yourself into this. Right here. I just got to keep over and over and over. And it's not for God. I hear God going, I'm here. But in me, it's like I'm not feeling the shift yet. I got to keep using it as a mantra. I have to do a mantra of truth statements until I feel pop, that expansion. Happened to me yesterday, not so long ago. <laughs> I was talking to Patrick on the phone, actually, and I was just in a yucky mood. And he's like, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> don't try. It doesn't work, but you will. So anyway, so what I was committed to, though, was say, I don't want to get into it. I said, let me have it, which he graciously did. And it really was like a day of me just being in my stuff. I didn't want to, I didn't want to projected onto him. I didn't want to poison our relationship. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to own it and be with it and just be with God walking through it. And it was, it was okay. I shopped a little bit. That did help a little bit. (laughs) But while shopping, I was feeling it. You can, you can do both. So, but I really was committed to just be with it and not give it to someone else, not blame it on something that did or didn't happen, whatever story I'm making up. I just was experiencing my own belief in separation. And I just kept, and it really went for a while. I went and worked out. Like I just spent my day, and I, I, but it was just, it wasn't shifting, but I also wasn't choosing to project it onto anybody. And by the evening time, by as it was started, I was feeling the shift coming. I felt myself. And then I got to a point where I said, now just choose to be nice and expanded. Just choose to be in relationship with your life. Because what happens when that occurs to us, for me and probably you, it just, it contracts. You become contracted and the fear and the defenses and the, just what's occurring inside. And, you know, and, and Patrick asked me later, he said, you know, do you want to talk about it? I said, I was able to explain it later. And I just said, you know, I just got stuck. I just got trapped inside. It was like stuck in a cave. And I just couldn't quite find my way out. But being with it, owning it, and calling upon God's grace during it, that's what gets you out. That's what makes it possible. Fasting for my negative. All right, oh, good, I'll take it. So, So Esther prepared herself spiritually first. Then from this place, inspiration moved her. Then... She rose with courage, and she spoke to the king, and they were freed. So often, we see what needs to be fixed or changed or stopped with our human eyes. We're already in trouble the moment we believe what the human eyes are saying. If the human eyes, by uh, habit and by race consciousness agreement, say that something is wrong here. You see, all that's happening, when your human eyes see something that appears painful, suffering, those things that we do see in the world, of which there's plenty, if you took them all in, you actually would be overwhelmed, which is why you don't take most of it in. You have built-in defenses to not feel this world because it would blow you up. It absolutely would blow you up. However, When you can begin in your little realm of reality, the human eyes, and get this, the human eyes see suffering, but they don't see it. So that's the first step. They must trigger us into the spiritual eye. And the spiritual eye says, I see a place 
where love needs to be revealed. I see a place where God's presence is not known, but, but someone can bring it forth. It's a place that's crying for remembering. And if you see the suffering, you see the brokenness, you see whatever is occurring with the human eyes and go, that is not what is real. That is what is pointing me back into the God self within that says, what, who shall I be in relationship to this? Suddenly, do you see how you become the consciousness that makes something change? You see, if we just keep seeing with our human eyes and then agreeing with that, then we become part of the problem. It's a three-step problem. Instead of healing it, we personalize it, we see it, and then we're in relationship to it. We project our suffering and our pain out upon it, And then we perpetuate the very consciousness that is screaming to be healed. Do you get that? So as soon as you see it, you see the issue, don't personalize it. Just use it as sort of a a, a bounce back. I don't know what to call that. Ricochet boomerang. Use it as a boomerang that sends you, you see it and it sends you into your spiritual expanded self. In that consciousness, you are available to not perpetuate suffering. You become the place that says, this shall end. And you become filled with love. You become absolutely filled with it. The way to do this is to practice. See, if you see with the human eye, you go, I don't believe God's here. If you stay there. If you stay in the separation, I don't believe God's here. God can't have created this. And then you get yourself stuck in a corner again. Of course, God didn't create that. God is the essence of love and oneness that is underneath it, calling out to be made known, to be made known. We must practice to get there. We must practice. We must spend more time consciously fasting from the negativity and aligning ourselves with these truths so that when we see the world as it appears in its brokenness, it will become natural to respond. We get into our spiritual practice. We get right with God first. And that is the place for us to hang out, to build that right relationship with the God of our being. The more you cultivate that relationship, the more you give yourself over to the God of your being, the easier your life becomes because you are living from the consciousness of love. You become the healer that is present in the circumstance. And here's the cool part. When you are the presence of love inside of whatever's occurring in the world, when you just declare yourself as so and you become filled with that love, then love guides you on what to say or what to do. You don't have to figure it out. Love is not premeditated. It doesn't premeditate. Love is a present moment, wholeness, oneness, everything now consciousness that will move you. It's a mystery what you will do on the other side of love. You will walk away and go, it is not, I did not speak those words. I did not make that happen. I don't know how suddenly something rises up inside of you and love in the moment knows what to say, knows what to do, knows when to leave, knows when to do everything. Your work is to just surrender to that. It's a really important idea, the idea that love does not premeditate because your crazy mind does. (laughs) Your crazy mind, before it goes into a conversation, has had the conversation 10 times. You figure out what you're going to say, what they're going to say, how they're going to react. If they go here, I'm going to go here. If they go here, i got to go here. 
So your crazy mind is premeditating all the time. In love, do you get how you have to play that game? No need to play it. Fill yourself with love, show up for the moment, and be amazed. Be amazed by what happens through you. One more thought. Following God requires sacrifice and a willingness to be uncomfortable. You see, Esther in the story reached a point where she was willing to lay aside all her own thoughts, her plans, and her ideas. She, she was even willing to die for this purpose. She said, I will give my life to that greater thing. And suddenly, all the silliness of life was irrelevant. There is a sacrifice that we must make. But it's not even, see, it's so silly. It's not even a sacrifice. The things we cling to that have no meaning compared to the purpose that shines within you. If you could see for a moment the things that you think you have to be, that have to be sacrificed in relationship to the glory of God as your life and your divine purpose, no thing. No thing at all. But a lot of us, it's a journey. It's a letting go. We feel like at times we're just like it's being ripped from us. That is our clinging. That's our belief of these things of the world. But in order to get to the glory of God as your life, much of where we're focusing has to be surrendered. But we're taught each step of the way. You don't have to figure that out. It's our practice. It's our prayers. It's our meditation. It's our Asking over and over and over, who am I here to be? Who am I being called to be right now? This is your question. And this is the question that I ask you to be with this week. I want this week to make a difference in the unfoldment of your spiritual awakening. And the way to do that is to be in relationship with this question. Write it on your hand. Put it on the mirror. Put it in your, at your desk. Put it wherever you are. And just allow that question to take you into the deeper answers. You shall be amazed if you will do this work. Yes? yes. And so it is. All right. So let us pray. I invite you to turn within.